Well, morning, everyone. Um, for those of you that are new here, not been here before, my name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here. <clears throat> and we are uh, in a series that we're calling Removing the Rocks. And um, we'll have three more weeks of it uh, after this. Um, and basically, the idea is just to help you understand. Sorry if you've been here for the past few weeks, so it feels a bit repetitive, but it's, it's, good. it's still good to hear again, actually, um, is that when Jesus spoke about what life with him is like, um, he did, one of the ways he described it, he said it would be, it would be like um, water from heaven f- comes and fills you and then out, out from you flows the river of that living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you, know, maybe you, you are here and someone, you, you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, but you say, I'm really spiritual. And um, you know, the idea of spiritual things I find... Uh, captivating, interesting, I read about those kinds of things. Let me just say to you that by, by far and away, the greatest promises of spiritual experience are in the Bible and are from the words of Jesus Christ. He promises big when it comes to spiritual encounter. And he says, if you, anyone who believes in me will never thirst, but actually that there will be this spring placed in him that flows out. And, um, and it's just the wonder really of, of becoming a believer is that it's not essentially at its heart, it's not, about, it's not about what you do, it's about a miracle of God. It's something that God does. Oh, thanks, mate, I appreciate that. Cheers. <clears throat> um, should probably drink some, shouldn't I? Yeah, that's what it's for, yeah. Um, it's not essentially about what you do, it's about what the Lord does. And we'll look at that as we go through the message. Um, but I guess one of the beauties, one of the joys of it is it's not about trying to crank something up, trying to make something happen. How am I going to be zealous for God today? That's not the dynamic of the Christian life. There's a river that flows from the throne of God into and out from his people. It's a God thing. Um, Yet the Bible does say that you you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. Maybe a different way of phrasing is you can hinder the flow. You can through either kind of wrong beliefs or wrong attitudes in the heart or kind of harboring sort of dark stuff. You can hinder the flow. You can kind of, I guess, miss out on the fullness of what the Lord wants you to experience. And so through this series, we're just trying to look at some of those rocks, some of those things that can hinder the flow and say, look, look, that's no good. Let's get it out of the way. Um, So like I said, it's three more weeks after me, but I'm preaching none of those three weeks. This is my last stab at preaching this series. I'm like, oh, Lord, what what do I do? And um, so I'm going to do two rocks because I've only got one sermon left. I've got to do both of these, Um, but it won't be a super long sermon, but we'll we'll find a way of... um, Well, actually, I do... uh, One of the reasons I'm doing it is because I think these are two things that are really closely linked. Um, and, and, And even though you might not think so at first appearance, and those two things are fear... And pride. <laughs> so, just some little ones, little ones today. Um, you see, fear and pride are perhaps more linked than you'd think. Fear thrives in the heart of someone who's self-important. Because if someone is self-important, um, then they have a lot to lose. Do you know? What, you understand what I'm saying? If you think a lot of yourself, and you're always concerned about this, that, and the other about me, and everything revolves around me, there's a lot. In your mind, there's a lot you can lose, at least for a lot of anxiety and fear. And so these two things are actually very, very closely um, linked. Whereas the humble tend not to live in that headspace because they've basically realized it's not about me. See, being humble doesn't just mean that you're some, I don't know, that you kind of, I don't know, you, you don't wash and you walk around limping. and you, you, it's not, That's not being humble. Being humble means you've just got it. You've understood oh, it's not about me. 
It's actually not about me. This life is not about me. It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around him. And it's not, and even, even you can even not get it right as a Christian and you can be consumed as a Christian with, Lord, what's your plan for my life? Still so me-centered. Rather than, Lord, Lord, you know, what is, what, what, what is my contribution to what you're doing in the planet? That's the better question. And so humility really releases you from a lot of anxiety and from a lot of, a lot of fear. Um, but I would say this, that in one sense, fear and pride is kind of like all of us that believe in the Lord are, are, are pulling out the pebbles of fear and pride daily. Okay, It's not like you're ever through on it perfectly. But if you don't deal with the big boulders of fear and pride, like the fundamental, then you're going to have real big problems as a disciple. It's not going to flow. You're going to think, wow, what's going on? Here And what you'll end up doing is this. You'll end up processing your life, thinking about your life, and it just doesn't work. Let me tell you a little illustration. Um, I, I touch type. It's one of, one of the skills I've got in life that I'm really excited about. I love, my dad taught me to touch type when I was 16. He drew me a bit of paper. He said, that finger goes there, that finger is a keyboard. There it is. And he left me in a room for a f- Wait, it sounds like a, it wasn't that bad. He left me in a dark room. But he, I was in a room for a few hours, for a few days, and I just went at it. And then I got it, and I can touch type. Now, the thing about touch typing is this. So you haven't got to look at the keyboard. Um, you put your fingers uh, where they're supposed to go, and then away you go, you're off. Okay? But if, if you start in the wrong place, <laughs> all you've got to do is start one key to the left or one key to the right. You can do everything perfectly, but what's coming up on the screen is a load of nonsense. This isn't working. And it's because your starting place has to be right. Okay, you have to get your fingers in the right position, bang, and then you're off. For many believers, they don't nail fear and pride in a fundamental way. And so their starting point is off. And I think, why isn't this working? Why isn't it flowing? And so they come to make big decisions about life and even pray about it and other things. But actually, there's still a load of fear or pride driving it. And I think we're not getting anywhere. And end up, they'll just make a decision, just do this. Actually, listen, what we want to try and help you do is just remove those two big rocks. I'm going to talk about them today um, just to show you how they operate. And then, and then just to say, Lord, blow it out of the way by your spirit. I want to trust you. I want to trust that your love is so perfect that I can trust you. That you are so good in your intentions for your children. That you are so committed to our, well, our welfare and to our flourishing and thriving and being fruitful, that I can actually trust you with my life. That's the heart of it. Okay, so that's what we're going to um, look at there. So we're going to read perhaps quite an unusual, um, you might find it quite an unusual um, uh, scripture from Luke 17. It should come up on the screen there. Um, here we go, from Jesus. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's coming from the field, Come at once and recline at at table. No. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you'll eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you shall say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty. Now there is a countercultural scripture for you. Everyone's freaking out right now. So we better pray and see where we get to it. Is that all right? <laughs> Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. It's timeless, transcends culture, 
messes with our head at times and deals with our heart, always. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to grapple with this and help to straighten out our thinking, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just help you with that word there, servant. That, that word in Greek is doulos. And doulos is a, it's kind of a word that we, some, some Bible translations translate it slave, others servant. Because basically in our language, slave nor servant doesn't perfectly sum it up. Because when we think servant, what we think is someone perhaps who has a job where they, perhaps they do a lot of work, jobs that you think, oh, that's not the best job in the world. But they're employed and they can leave at any time, right? They can go, I've had enough of this, <laughs> and resign and get another job. Servant. When we think of slave, we tend to think of kidnap, don't we? We think of kidnap, human trafficking, just you know, someone against their will is kind of plucked out of their life and taken somewhere, and they've just got to do, you know, they're, they're, they've lost all sense of, well, they're, they're, it's, it's kind of oppressive, evil, dark. Now, a doulos, in, in, in the classical times, it was, a, it was kind of... It was, it was more complex than that. There would be people that would do losses that were servants. I'm going to use the word slave, okay, that were slaves. It, was, it means bond servant, yeah, someone in bonds. It was someone who, there were slaves who were like spoils of war. So there was a war and these guys lost, so they became slaves. So there was that sort of thing that went on. There was bad stuff that went on. But it wasn't just that. Sometimes people would um, sell their own children into slavery because they had a debt they couldn't pay. Um, and, and it wasn't assumed for a moment that that person would be treated badly because they were a slave. They might be, but they could be treated so well. In fact, there were times where people in the end actually adopted their slaves because they, 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 they became sons. Um, other times they didn't become sons, but they had really, really good jobs. Sometimes they bought their own freedom at some point. So I'm just trying to say it's more complex than that. But, but here's the thing for us. We struggle with this whole thing of slave. We really do because... There's scriptures that seem to say the opposite. So let me just help you understand. Are you with me? Help, help me, because you've got to get, if you don't get this, what will happen is you'll cherry pick Bible truth and, and then you just have kind of a strange sort of selection rather than the full meal. So the reason why we don't like words like slavery and that is because biblically the, the Bible teaches a few things. Number one, it teaches that we're no longer slaves to fear. And kind of superstition and that's, you know, a lot of people in a lot of religions, you've got to do this to appease the gods and then do that and make sure you remember to go there. Because if you don't, the gods will be angry. And, and there's all this superstitious activity around fear and religion. We are set free from that in Jesus Christ. Okay? We're no longer a slave to that. Secondly, we're no longer a slave to trying to make ourselves righteous enough for God to accept us. I'll say that again because I tell you what, you've got to say that to yourself about 100 times a day if you're going to get it. We're no longer a slave to trying to attain for ourselves righteousness before God by our own efforts. We're no longer a slave to that pattern of life where you're thinking, if I can just do this and then just stop doing that, maybe God will accept me. We've released from that because the Bible teaches us no matter how much you do that, you're never going to be holy or righteous enough. And so in our weakness, God sent his son who did it. And through his absolute perfection, as we repent of our sins and our self-sufficiency and our waywardness and just say, Lord, just have mercy on me as a gift, he brings us into the family. So we're set free from all that. So we're no longer slaves to those things. Amen. Not only that, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, it's a difference between a slave and a son. A slave does not have a permanent place in the family. It's not, it's not like a son, whereas a son is a son is a son is a son. A son belongs to that family forever. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, 
You're going to be set free from slavery to sin and you'll become a son. You'll have a house, a place in God's house and family forever. Amen. So we love all of that and we sing songs about all of that. Amen. Amen. Now, there's another Christian truth and it's this. When you come and give your life to Christ, you are from that point onwards no longer your own. So all of, the, all of the people that wrote letters in the New Testament that we know of, we know that Paul wrote letters in the, in the New Testament. We know that James wrote a letter in the New Testament. We know that Peter wrote two letters in the New Testament. We know that Jude wrote a letter, and we know that John wrote four letters. All of them, at some point in their letters, refer to themselves as doulos. All of them, explicitly. They understood they were sons, friends. These people knew their doctrine. <laughs> They taught us it. Okay? They, un- they got it. They knew grace. They knew they were free from superstition and fear. They knew they were free from self-righteousness. Hallelujah. They knew the gospel. But they also knew that they were no longer their own. They'd been bought by the blood of Christ. So in that sense, they were slaves. Because the fundamental truth about a slave, whether it's a spoil of war or a kidnap situation or a voluntary situation, is that from the moment you become that slave, you are no longer your own. And so Jesus says, this is what it is. you need to have that mentality. As well as knowing you're a son, you're adopted, you're privileged, you're raised with Christ. At the same time, this is really important to know you're not your own. You belong to him. That one, that one makes, that one creates potentially. It hits our pride, and it create can create fear. So I just want to look at those two things. Um, look at how those things there work. Pride. We live in a culture of entitlement. Our part of the world is set up with this whole idea that kind of you've you've got these rights. And, you know, thank God for human rights because human rights uh, as on a legal situation can stop pe- other people oppressing other people. It's a, it's a good thing. But it can bleed into a mindset where you feel like, actually, I'm going to live by my rights rather than living by love. And the life of entitlement and rights is very different from the life of love. Let me give you an example. I can say, well, I can wear whatever I like because it's my right. That's the life of entitlement. The life of love says, how does what I dress impact those around me? I want to care for those around me by the way that I present myself. It's not laws and legalism, it's love. I want to make sure I'm helpful in what I do. Do you understand? It's different, there's rights, but that's, there's something that go, the Christian message goes beyond that to love. And that's, that's, that's a whole different game but we can be stuck in this entitlement mentality and it can get really ugly it can get into God owes me God owes me because I do loads of stuff for him and why hasn't he provided this yet there's this underriding current of God owes me why hasn't God why hasn't God provided children we're trying for children for a couple of years now Come on, God, what's, what's wrong? You know, you can, can turn into something else. It's, it's fair to be grieved and upset about things, but when it turns into God, there's something underneath that's driving it that's saying, you owe me, Lord. Why hasn't God provided a husband and wife for me if you're someone who would like to be married? Why hasn't God given me that dream job yet? This sense of entitlement can drive you to a place of such a lack of contentment and such kind of complaining and bitterness and then withdrawal 
not really praying anymore because you know what, Lord, I want to let you know. You haven't done this or losing heart with stuff rather than saying, well, I'm an unworthy servant. All the stuff I've done for the Lord is just my duty. This is a do loss. I've been bought with a price. No one might have noticed it and no one might have acknowledged it, but I actually didn't do it for that. I did it for the Lord. It's a different, totally different mentality. Or you can get into this thing of like, my will be done rather than thy will be done. My will be done. Why isn't this happening now? Why isn't it happening quicker? Why is this taking so long? And and it can get into this thing and you're basically self, it's self-sovereignty. It's like, it's surely, you know, you would never say it, but the way you can think is like, why? And, and, and again, frustration and bitterness can begin to win the day because actually at the end of the day, you might sing the songs and pray the prayers, but really this is about my my. Dreams, and let's throw a few, add a few scriptures on to make them seem more spiritual. But I want to do this for the Lord. And, you know, I tell you, this is a church. Many of you are very aspirational. Many of you are in London because of aspirations and dreams. It's not a bad thing. But you have to watch there's a line somewhere. There's a line somewhere. Because I can guarantee you, if God's given you a dream, he's faithful to fulfill it. If it is from him, you may have to go for a journey where you realize that it wasn't from him. If it was from him, I can pretty much guarantee you, you'll have to go on a journey of working out his route there is different to what you thought it would be. <laughs> I can almost guarantee it. Um, that hits upon issues of the heart. But, Lord. Or even it can get theological. Who's God to judge? Who's God to judge? Who's saved and who's, who's God to judge? How could God ever send anybody to hell? And you can get very theological, but at the root of it, the driving force of it is kind of like a low view of him. It's like essentially you set yourself up as judge, the one who understands all things, and you think, God, how could you do that? And that's another way. It's pride, entitlement. Or me and God are buddies, that kind of thing. You know, me and God are mates. (laughs) Do you know some things you think, "Ah, I don't know, hmm. Jesus said to the disciples, I called, I called you friends. So I, I get that. But in an entitlement culture, it, when someone says that, it can so easily be something else. It can so easily, it can sound, sound biblical, but it's not. It's basic. The Bible says the secret of the Lord, intimacy with God, is for those who fear him. There can be no friendship with God without fear of God. Because it's just this wonky kind of me and God are mates thing. And it's like, nah. <laughs> nah. but he does want to be friends with us but that's a holy thing that's a holy thing do you understand and so there can be this really high view of ourselves which our flesh loves and we're living in a, a, a culture which constantly feeds into that and um, it's, I remember watching a, a Michael Palin um, one of his travelling um, documentaries once it stuck with me 10 years ago, 11 years ago he's in Niger or somewhere like that, and he speaks to this woman who lives in a corrugated hut in the desert. And he says to her, he says, um, what, is it, what, what is it that would make you happy? Two things that really struck me. First, her utter sense of confusion by the question. And then she said, whatever God gives. You think, Phew. now, sure, if she becomes a believer, she may need a little bit of discipleship about you know, learning to... Dream big in the Lord. Yeah, sure. 
But there's a thing or two in there as well for us to learn. Living in a corrugated heart in a desert. Whatever God gives. Big smile on her face. It's like, wow, the humility. Oozing, oozing, effortless humility. Stunning. So there's, there's the stuff on pride, right? And then, so then I can imagine what happens now. We'll go, okay, Lord, I want to be more humble. I, I, I don't want to be like that. So, Lord, I'm all yours. Then comes the fear. <laughs> right, I'm going to go, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm totally all yours now. Right? Then we need to just look at fear quickly. Think about the people that have most inspired you spiritually. Think about those believers that have been most, you've thought, oh, I love being around them, want to be like them. I can pretty much guarantee you that the thing about them, that if, you, if I was to say to you, that person, were they abandoned to the Lord? You would say, yeah. There was something, they were, they were abandoned to the Lord. And, and you see them and you feel inspired around them and they seem to hear God. And you think, I want to be like that. And then he says, okay then, trust the Lord entirely. What? Because you can see the fruit in someone's life that does that. And it's one thing to look on and go, wow, that's amazing. It's another thing to go, I'm going to tread that path. Because at that point, you tend to face some fears. Some things tend to often um, happen. And um, there's two main things, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. The first is this, right? what, what, what we call in our part of the world FOMO. Yeah? Familiar with FOMO? Fear of missing out. And it's this idea that somehow God is the ultimate party pooper. Yeah? You may never say that because we're experts. So just the Christians, we know what to say and what not to say, right? We know what we're allowed to say and what we're not allowed to say. Yeah? God sees the heart. <laughs> so you might have your, 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 little, you know, your, little, your little godly saying all wrapped up. He sees the heart. And you may in your heart be thinking, God wants to ruin my life. <laughs> It's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal to say it. Yeah, but let's just be honest. That's the one way or another. Because if God, you know, if God was really good, then because I know best. God wants to ruin my life. Well, you either trust him or we don't. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and life in all its fullness. Now, he's either telling the truth or he isn't. It's as stark as that, folks. Sometimes it's grey, sometimes it's black and white. This is a black and white moment, all right? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. That's either true or it isn't. This FOMO thing is an absolute curse. It stops people from giving themselves to where they are. It stops people from being covenant covenantally committed to someone for life or covenantally committed to a community of people it keeps people uh, it keeps people unrooted and floating around looking for or maybe this or maybe that and never been able to get planted and bear fruit it's a curse it's a lie it's horrible it's built on fear it cannot produce good fruit you've got to expose it for what it is it's, not, it's built on covetousness. I always must have more. This thing, yeah, this is good, but that might be that. And this might be that. Covetous, ugly, dark. It's, come on, folks. It's not live in ch- Don't be chained to that when you could be chained to Jesus. The, the king of love who sets us free. Who has what is best for us in his heart. 
So that's the first fear. And then the second fear I'm going to talk about today is this. But I'm sure if I abandoned myself to him entirely, he'd ask me to do the very thing that I dread more than anything. Which is just another version of God wants to ruin my life. Okay? Yeah, he knows what I dread most. So what he's going to do to test me, because we know God loves to test us, is he will get me to do that. And what you end up doing is you, you, you self-protect. And it's so tragic. Because you self-protect. And when you self-protect, your life gets smaller and smaller. And you get smaller and smaller and smaller. Because you're being driven by fear again. And you become the classic bored Christian. They're everywhere. I'm not even, They're everywhere. There will be some in this room. You've probably got a few more months or years of this. Then we won't see you anymore. Because there comes a point when you can't keep singing the songs when it ain't real. There comes a point where you go, I can't do this anymore. And you go. And the issue isn't that you've left. It's sad that you've left. But the issue is that something was going on in there. You lost the risk. He lost the adventure. I felt God speak to me today about cricket. I don't don't know much about cricket. It must be the Lord. Um, Boxing, yeah, yeah, 101 illustrations, cricket. But the I, this cricket buffs, forgive me, but this is basically true. If you're in bat, basically true. Listen, if you're in bat, there's two things you've got to do. Number one, don't get out. Am I right? Number two, score some runs. Am I right? That's about right. You said it in a Caribbean accent, it sounded very. You don't make it. Don't worry, it's fine. Two ignoramuses agreeing together. It must be right. So first thing is don't get out, for goodness sake, because then you can't score any runs, right? Stay in. Yeah? But listen, if you stay in for an hour, two hours, three hours, but you're not scoring any runs, you're a what? You are, was that a cricket joke? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. Love it. But there you go. If I'd, if I'd known cricket, I would have laughed, right? But you, if, yes, if that's all you do, oh, we're, we're, we're not out. Oh, not out for how many? Zero. That's not, you're not going to celebrate zero for not out. You've got to score some runs. And I just felt the Lord say to me as I was just walking to the um, office today to just prepare. Some of you, you're, you're not out. Well, that's good. Score some runs. And to score some runs, you've got to lift that bat up where the wicket's exposed and whack the thing. You've got to do that, probably. I'm going out of my realms now, so I'm going to stop there. But do you know what I'm saying, though? Score some runs. Have a go. Don't be locked up. God never punished anyone for having a go. I mean, come on. Come on. It's a ridiculous idea. What parent ever told their toddler off for falling over when they're learning to walk? Can you imagine? What an awful, awful thing to even think of. It's all claps and cheers, isn't it? You were dropping into everything. Hey! That's the heart of God. Hey! Let's go down and have a go. Hey! Hey! Fell over. Get plastered on. Right, off we go. Hey! It's got some runs. So, uh, would he really ask you to do? Would, would he ask you to do more than you can bear? Well, considering the Bible says this that the commandments of God are not burdensome. One John five, verse something. The commandments of God are not burdensome. 
But I think sometimes people get such a pickle about what God might say, they never get any further than that. God never gets a chance to say anything. You get all locked up in fear. When you're fearful, how do you hear God? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come on. He's a good, good God. So pride and fear. You've got to get them out of the way, amen? Okay, final, final point is that we've all flopped. Um, we've all got it wrong. Yeah, we're broken. But look at what Jesus does for us. I'm just going to read you a few verses from Philippians. Just let's look on Jesus, shall we? Let's look on Jesus because you know what? If anyone, if anyone, listen to what it says about Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. There we are grasping at things that aren't rightfully ours. It's painfully ugly, isn't it? Grasping at this. I want adulation for this, even though I'm a rotter. I want praise for this, even though my motives were warped when I did it. So ugly. Here he is, existing in the form of God. Saying, you know, I'm not even going to hold on to that. I'm not even going to hold on to that. It's rightfully mine. But I'm not going to hold on to that. Stunning. What a saviour. Who else has done that? says this, he emptied himself or laid aside his privileges, taking the form of a doulos. That's what it says. He became utterly tethered to the will of the Father. I lay aside my privileges. I am here to do your will, O God. (sighs) Took the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There he is. Where, you know, the fear trying to get to him in the garden where he's sweating blood for us. And he says, ah, oh, if there's another way, let there be another way. If there's another way, Father, but not my will, yours be done. We're never going to have to face that because he did for us. That was shared earlier. He will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus knew utter abandonment on the cross that we would never have to. Stunning. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. Amen. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. That's, that's the place where we live. We live on our knees. The Bible says if you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he will raise you up at the right time. And when God raises you up and when God brings you into the things he's promised you, you're so secure you're so safe and you're not battling pride because you know it's him who's put you there. And you're not battling fear because you know it's him who's put you there. And you're living in that place of security and that place of that sense of God has done it. So our role in this is not to exalt and assert ourselves. Hallelujah, you've been released from the rat race. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand at the proper time. He knows when. He knows when. He knows when. He will raise you up 
and nothing in heaven or on earth can stop it. He's sovereign. He is sovereign. Amen? Amen. So what I want us to do, I'd love us to, we're going to sing a gospel hymn. I'd love us to do that with the bread and the wine. So I'd love us to do what we did last week or the week before. If a few people could just help, just get the bread and the wine out to the seats. Um, Anyone can do it. You haven't got to. Thank you. That'd be so great. Here's what I want us to do. As we sing this song, I'd love us to just take the bread and the wine as we're singing it. We're going to sing before the throne of God. And this is just a gospel song. This is just fixing our eyes on Christ. And then when we've sung that song, there'll be a chance to just respond to the message. We're going to do that with the the song, um, I lift you high and bow down low. And at that point, that's just, just, I guess both songs are a response. One is just, Lord, we honour you. We honour this amazing gospel. And then the second song is a chance to just say, do you know what, Lord? I want to I put, I wanna, with your help, Holy Spirit, I want to pull out the boulder of pride. If it's in my life, chuck it out of the way. I want to get the hold of the boulder of fear in my life, chuck it out of the way. And what I'm going to do is I want to just say, Lord, I'm all yours. And I want to abandon myself to you and trust that, trust that maybe one day, Lord, you might, might make me someone that someone else could look at and say, wow. You're inspiring the way you trust the Lord. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be so great? That's God's plan for us, folks. So we're going to sing those two songs and respond in that way. When we get to that second song and it says about, you know, I lift you high and bow down low, I want to just say to you, if you just know that today is a day where you need to respond in a very concrete way, I'll just ask you to kneel during that song. Okay? So when we sing the second song, I lift you high and bow down low, as a a mark of just trust and saying, Lord, them rocks, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, Settle for pride or fear anymore. I just want to ask you to just kneel down and, and sing that song. Okay. Um, I hope, I hope that, that, that makes sense what I'm asking. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I guess we'll just see where the, where the service takes us from there. So I don't know how we're doing in terms of, um, it's a bit of a logistical operation, isn't it? Getting the bread and the wine out. Ah, good, isn't it? He loves us, doesn't he? He loves us so much. It's incredible. What love. What love. I feel like I'm just discovering it. After 26 years. <laughs> uh, not of my life. I'm not that young. But of being a Christian. <laughs> being, a, being a believer. I felt the shockwaves in the room there. So I thought I'd better just qualify what I was saying. Known the Lord for 26 years. If we just pray, I'm going to just lead us in prayer and we'll sing. Father, thank you so much for your kindness towards us. It's way, way more than we would ever begin to imagine. Thank you because your wrath has been completely appeased at the cross. Because Jesus is the satisfaction for our sins and has atoned for our sins past, present and future. We thank you, Father, for this extraordinary favour that we now live under. It's just as if we'd never sinned. Just as if we'd never sinned. Wow, what an amazing, that you would declare in the, heavenly, in the heavenly courts that we are declared righteous, that you would declare righteous over our lives because we're in Christ, hidden in him. We don't deserve a bit of it, Lord. And Jesus, we want to honour you for your extraordinary obedience to the will of the Father. 
We just honour you in this place. Your extraordinary courage and obedience to the will of the Father. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are you become more and more beautiful to our hearts every every as every year goes on. And we're more aware of our need for your mercy and grace as the years go on. Thank you. And Holy Spirit, we just bless you for the way you bring all these truths and make them alive in our hearts. Thank you for the way that you come from the Father and the Son and you fill us with truth, lead us into truth and fill our hearts with joy and peace. We're so grateful for your work in our lives. Amen.